Well, Patty, I think this episode today is really going to blow people away with just an idea of making money that our industry, I don't think, has really thought of so far. I agree. I mean, it's a wide open opportunity, it seems to me, especially, you know, especially for the ISO and agent who's out there, you know, with a good book of, uh, you know, sizable book of restaurants. Yeah, this is a way to make five, six, seven hundred basis points. Right. And not, you know, 50 or 60 or five or six. Um, right. This is an exponentially larger opportunity talking about delivery, of course. And it's just incredible when you really understand how the DoorDash and Uber Eats models work and how they make money. The right. fact that you can get a piece of that is kind of crazy. And so I'm really excited about that interview today. And then tell us about the Insiders Report. Uh, we're going to we're gonna talk a little bit about fraud. And, and uh, you know, not surprising, fraud has been upticking uh, since the pandemic took hold, but I think people would be really surprised to see here some of these uh, data points I bring bring together. Awesome. And then in the questions in the field, I just answer a really simple question. When is it the right time to go out on your own? When is it the right yeah. time to go from W2 to 1099 or from executive at a processing company to, to CEO of your own? And, you know, uh, the short version is it's your motives. And so we talk about why do you want to see that change in your life and understanding if it's the right motive or if you're better placed working at a company where you have that structure to move forward. So yeah. with all that said, Patty, I'm ready to go. Let's dive into our, Let's our interview. Let's dive in, James. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey, everybody. Patty and I are joined today by John Sarabia, and John is a partner at Delish. How are you doing today, John? I'm doing fantastic uh, here in California. Got amazing weather. So Yes. So I guess it's a delish day, huh? Yeah. <laughs> wow, look at that. Patty is already waxing eloquently. I had to get one in there. <laughs> so uh, today I'm really excited about this conversation. I've had the opportunity to talk to John a few times and what he's doing is really unique. We're going to be talking about how ISOs and agents can add margin and profit to their accounts through these delivery services, uh, mainly for restaurants. And so uh, before we dive into that, John, I know you're a first time guest on the podcast. Give us your backstory a little bit. How did you get into this crazy industry and how did you end up uh, founding Delish? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so I've been in the uh, merchant services industry for over 16 years. Uh, started in, in um, October of 2005. Okay. And as you know, back then, uh, we were selling the uh, Nareed 2085s. And, oh, I remember those. <laughs> and, you know, at the time, the 30, the, 30 BX, uh, the 3750 terminal had a little slot. And we would tell people, merchants, the future one day we're going to have EMV chip cards <laughs> like, like they do in Europe. So you better get this machine. This is the best machine. Right. And you know, that 10 years, 10, 15 years went on and we finally got it now. Right. And then they right. had to replace all their terminals anyway. That's right. They yeah. all had new terminals by then. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Uh, so yeah, it's been a very interesting journey. Um, one of the things getting into it that I loved about it is one, I studied international business um, I like hearing stories about business owners, how, how they started their business and why they started their business. Sure. So well, that, that was perfect fit for me to be in this industry, uh, visiting, you know, business owners. Um, now, as far as uh, it, it, the residual, the residual income, obviously being, being your own boss, working for yourself, putting in the hours. And like people say, a lot of times entrepreneurs, um, you know, they're entrepreneurs, they'll put in 80 hours uh, a week working for themselves because they know what their results are going to be. Right. Uh, you know, they know their self-worth yeah. you know, where working hourly, you may not get that same. That's the, yeah, same, exactly. That same no. drive and uh, determination. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yes. Yeah, so um, 
now, so we've been in this industry for a long time. And as you all know, merchant services is merchant services. There's not a lot of pizzazz about it. Um, You know, uh, where we've always been unique as far as saving business owners money and everybody's out there saving business owners money. But where we've been unique is, is aside from that is the customer service. So, you know, starting off as a sales rep, I've always said, it's David and Goliath. Yes, Wells Fargo is on every corner. Bank of America is on every corner. But when you have a customer service issue, you're going to call an 800 number. Okay. Right. With us, you're going to call us directly. You're going to, this is my cell phone. You're going to call me directly. Right. So that's right. how we've been able to compete. Um, and as you know, we're always looking for the next technology. As you know, right. we were selling POS systems at five. $10,000. Now you're selling the Clover stations at $1,500. Right. So they've become so much more affordable. Now you have the tablets. Uh, right. But as a sales rep as, and, and as an ISO, you're always looking for that area to have an edge into right. you know, the, the new technology that's coming and how to get ahead of the game. Um, now, how we came up with Delish was just about, about two years ago, we were looking at this and, you know, we already knew DoorDash and Uber Eats and yep. Grubhub. You know, we saw that uh, um, that uh, uh, Yelp bought out Grubhub and right. we saw the connection there. And we noticed that, you know, if we had a restaurant doing $100,000 a month in sales. Well, now they're only doing 95 or 90,000 because right. 10,000 is going to these delivery apps. Right. Um, we saw that as the future, as Uber became Uber, you know, before nobody would get into somebody's car, right. you know, hiking. Right. now it's normal. Everybody right. takes Uber. Um, same thing with the delivery apps. And yeah. we, we basically at that time said, you know, we reached out to somebody and said, we need a developer that could start developing this app for us. Right. And we'll, we'll put them on the payroll, let get them going. And, you know, right. So this went on for about, for about a year and a half, mm-hmm. and uh, we had just been in testing this past year, uh, last year in January. So by the time the pandemic hit, we were already three. We were we had already been in a in the first restaurant. We were testing it probably for about three to four months. Wow, great timing! Perfect timing. All the bugs, uh, and then when the pandemic hit, we were like, we need to launch yeah. like. This now. Is the, <laughs> it's like this is the perfect storm. I mean, we you know we we didn't yeah. plan a pandemic. We didn't say okay, this is uh, we're gonna get this ready for when a pandemic happens. Right. Uh, but as we all know, you know, come March of last year, right. the world stopped right. and everybody was you know yeah. let's order food. Let's order food to go. Let's order food for delivery. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like that trend was already there, but all of a sudden the pandemic hit and just accelerated it like four or right. five years in one day. Right. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and one of the key things that we did with Delish uh, is that we, we, so the way it works with Grubhub, E24 and all these other companies, they typically charge between 25 to 30% to the restaurant. Right. Okay. Um, we we created Delish where we charged between eight to ten percent, um, you know, us as Delish. But working with other agents, agents are able to charge 
you know, anywhere between eight to 12%. And, 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 you know, that can be to avoid the monthly fees, uh, but it's still, we're cutting, we are cutting the fees dramatically. And what, you know, even let's say we do have one client here in LA, uh, a sushi restaurant that never used any delivery company. So it was right. perfect. They're already our client. They right. started using our app. They do $75,000 a month in delivery. Okay. Wow. So let's say, let's say we charge them $7,500. Mm-hmm. If they would have been with one of the other companies, they would have paid 14,000 or 21,000. Right. Right. Right, okay. right. I guess so I guess what you're saying is and kind of because of course we're gonna get into all the detail a little bit later here, but as far as just big picture, what you're saying is, and it really leads really well into my next question, is you know, what are the challenges that are facing these restaurants today as they look at the available options of you know Grubhub, Uber Eats? And it sounds like the first one is just, you know, cost and just they're taking so much of the revenue. And I think a lot of agents don't fully understand it's like you're going into a restaurant and literally saying you're paying 30% of this revenue to this company. We can do it for seven, eight, nine, whatever you know percentage. So, talk more about that, and then what are the other challenges from a big picture? What are the other challenges that are facing restaurants right now as they they were also hit with this pandemic and trying to figure out this delivery stuff? Yes, absolutely. Uh, we've seen a, a lot of restaurants. I mean, we've seen from some restaurants say, "Hey, we kind of like this. You know, we don't have to have as much staff. You know, we right. can. You know, we'll do delivery all day long. It's it's perfect, <laughs> yeah. perfect for us." Um, and then, you know, you got the, you, you have where some people where it's hurt is like where they have the ambiance and people go there yeah. for dinner, typically right. a lot of sushi restaurants, a lot of steakhouses. you most people are not going to order a, a medium rare steak to go. Right. Right. Because, you know, it's not going to be done right. Yep. Um, so and, certain, and your sushi is going to be soggy. Exactly. Right. So, and, you know, sushi restaurants, steakhouses, that's a date night. That's like, I'm going to pay a little bit more premium because of the ambiance and food is being prepared for me where I get some drinks and so forth. So, um, you know, that is a big challenge. Delivery is not a solution for them uh, and pick up, but like our, the sushi restaurant that we have as a client, they're they're They have amazing food. So it's gone very well for them. You know, it's interesting right. too. I it's like this is a little bit off topic, I guess, but you know, I have to zoom out for one second about that because I think it's so interesting you bring this up. I actually think there's a big opportunity though for the restaurants, the higher end restaurants, to figure this out. Um, I'll give you a really interesting personal example. So I I do DoorDash and that kind of stuff all the time. And I, you know, I got hooked on it in the pandemic, and here I yeah. am still doing it, even though the restaurants are open. And it's funny you say this. I literally went three different times. I ordered a steak from Outback Steakhouse because they're one of the only decent steak places on the on the DoorDash app in my area. And you're correct. Every single time I got it, it wasn't done right. You know, it was too rare or something like that. And, but, you know, I'll tell you what's interesting about it. And what struck me is, you know, I am willing to do that. And there's actually a lot of people that are willing because mm-hmm. I actually want the food that tastes really, really good. And I don't really care. I'm totally fine paying for it. But I think you're right that there's that challenge. But I think it just goes to show that there's so much opportunity here in the delivery side. You know, there's so many uh, restaurants where even now it's like we look back at cash discounting and it used to be you can never do cash discounting in a fine dining restaurant. That's never going to happen. Now it happens all the time. And I think it's the same thing. I think anything right now where we think, well, you're never going to be able to deliver sushi. 
somebody is going to figure out how to deliver sushi that tastes amazing, how to deliver a steak that's exactly done right. And I mm-hmm. think that's the next challenge for a lot of these food service uh, you know, delivery. And it just goes to show how important figuring this out, you know, is. Yeah. And, and then another challenge is, um, yeah, uh, tr- you know, you know, something like with POS systems, the challenge is training the employees. The employees, they yes. don't like the system. They like the old system. Yes. And, you know, those are some of the challenges. Right, sure. Uh, you know, a lot of it is training and them learning. And a lot of times they're afraid of change. Um, but, you know, with the delivery system, it just took it took the nation by storm over during this pandemic. So but in the, as the, as the millennials come in, um, you know, you can do everything on your phone now. Right. You don't have to talk to anybody. You can right. you can have food delivered to your house. Um, you never even met the person. They dropped it off on your doorstep, and you right. know you got your food. Right. Uh, you can you can buy cars. On, people buy cars through Carvana now. Right. They, they didn't haggle with the with the dealership at all. The right. car was delivered. They're yep. very happy, and and that is the future. Now, one of the other things that we're adding uh, here in April is the indoor dining feature, which is the QR code that will be placed on the table and customers can sit down right away. They can scan it. They can look at the menu. They can order from their phone or order from the waiter and the, or the waitress. Right. Um, and they can pay the waiter or the waitress, or they can just pay on their phone. Right. I so, have to, I have to interject there for just a second, if you don't mind, because I'm older than you guys are. And uh, you know, when you get older, your eyes are not what they used to be. And I, the other day, had my first experience with one of those QR code mm-hmm. menus. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I have a, it's not real nearby, but I mean, I don't have the tiny phone. I have a fairly good size phone. And I found that reading the menu on my phone yeah. was a pain. I mean, it was really, I mean, I, I would have to like really expand it. And then I had to keep shifting back and forth. I've, I'm wondering, you know, and again, I'm a baby boomer. So, um, but, you know, as people age, they're going to end up being like me. And I'm wondering, I just got to throw that out. Is that something, a consideration that you all have wondered about? Is there a way, you know, that you could address that? Yeah, I I, I think that, um, that for the most part, restaurants will, will still be offering the traditional menus. Right. Um, but a, a bigger percentage of, of the you know, of the people are going to start using these menus. Yeah, I mean, it's a great idea. I thought it was really cool. I'm like, oh, wow, I could do, you know, I, I had heard about it, but I hadn't been to a restaurant yeah, where I could do it. Like when the pandemic started, it's like people were people were uh, washing their groceries before they brought right. them. The so, oh, yeah. Was, Everybody became like a germophobic. <laughs> that's right. true. So that that's one of the reasons why this it comes into play that people don't want to touch menus. Right. Oh no, I and I agree with you a hundred percent there. I mean, and I, and I think yeah, I think the big picture is that, like you said, I think and I think this is goes to all kinds of technology. I think anytime you're trying to fully automate something, and I've learned this from our statement analysis, it's like you can only push AI, you can only push technology so far. And then you do want to have that human option because no matter what the process is, in this case, it's ordering food, you know, some people are going to want to talk to a person. Some people are going to want to look at a menu. So the idea is reduce cost as much as you can by automating things, but you still got to leave the other kind of legacy systems in place to to some extent, right? 
and Absolutely. yeah, and I think you know, in this case, probably just to throw out. I mean, and what helped what helped me was you know, I looked. A waitress came over and said, "Can I help you?" And I'm like. Yeah, you know, I'm looking at the breakfast items here. Just tell me which one is, you know, right. <laughs> which one's vegetarian well. or whatever. Right. And, you know, right. and she was really helpful. And I think that was, and what interested me was it was, it was my first sit down restaurant in a year. And, and it was, a you know, spaced out tables and they just had one waitress and she was perfectly adept at taking care of everybody because it was so automated. So, I mean, I have to admit that is a really cool in dining experience, but can can we just? Yeah, I just wanted to sort of segue into another question, if you don't mind. And you know, we all have heard about DoorDash and Grubhub and Uber Eats, and it seems to be sort of like a big thing, right? I mean, I actually, James, I finally found that one of them will deliver out in the sticks where I there live. Congratulations. But, but all they would deliver was Popeyes and Taco Bell and right. McDonald's. It, stuff, right. it was, you know, all, it wasn't any good stuff. And it was all these big chains. And so I'm wondering, I think, and I think this is what your service gets at is, you know, how can a mom and pop restaurant offer their own delivery service, you know, without going through these, these big mega companies. And, yeah. you know, maybe you could give us an idea of how your model works and maybe like, I know you alluded to the fees a moment ago, but yes. if you could get back to that, sure. Absolutely. That's a very good question. Uh, so there's a couple things that we do when we bring in on a, a new restaurant um, is one, we say, do you, do you currently have a website? Uh-huh. If they say yes, we're going to put a link on, uh, on their website that says order now, which okay. will automatically pop up the app and the menu. Um, if they say no, we don't, then we, we would say, okay, uh, for example, we just did, we're doing one in Connecticut, Basilico Pizza. They have their own website, but they want us to create a different one because they want to do their ordering there and they want us to do the ordering over here. So we're just going to do Basilico Pizza um, uh, to go website. Okay. And then th- that the app is created. We do the marketing. We give them about a thousand flyers with their QR code. They can pass out to their existing customers, new customers. They can put them on their tables. Uh, We do Facebook ads. We do Instagram ads. And when we do sign them up as a new merchant, we we say, look, we we have a contract with Postmates to do the delivery. The the business owner can say, no, I want to do my own delivery. So then we'll set set it up on the app that they have in-house delivery. Okay. Okay. So, so they're able to control that. Right. Right. And the marketing is you're doing it, but they have control over what kind of marketing goes out. Is that, is that what you're saying? Well, what we do is when we, we, we create a flyer for them, uh-huh. uh, we take their logo and we create a flyer with the QR code. And then before we uh, obviously send a print, we send it to them, say, do you approve of this marketing material? Right. Right. And okay. They say, yes, we approve. Then we get it, send it off to the printer and then we do that for them and then they can do their own marketing on their own as well sure sure Sure. so let's let's zoom out a little bit more because again i i just i want to this is such a new concept for a lot of our listeners you know and so i want to make it really clear what we're talking about is you as an iso or an agent you can run a doordash type model using a partner like delish and you can actually bring in those revenue streams and make money on them 
So John, what I'd like for you to do is let's, let's break down these different revenue streams and these costs for just a second. So most yeah. of our listeners have no idea what Postmates is. They, that's the first time they've ever even heard of it. They probably don't even know that that exists. So just talk to us from a, a, a higher level business you know, perspective. What are the available revenue sources, both from the business and the, the customer? And then what are the expenses that are associated with making this whole model work? Absolutely. Um, yeah, so one of the things is we give them a, we give the, the the business owner an option to pay a monthly fee. Okay. Um, you know, to take care of all the, the the software. So the first one is $49.99 a month. Okay. And th- this is, you know, they don't need any equipment. That's a software fee. Yep, just a software fee. Okay. Now, for $99 a month, they now get the uh, the tablet we send them out a tablet okay a, uh, a bluetooth printer and the stand for the tablet okay, okay? um and it's very similar to what grubhub and the other companies send out to them as well so this is where you, you need something to realize that an order was created so at the 49 yeah. level they would have maybe the laptop pulled up or something that where they could check orders that came in right Yes, they would, they would get emailed to them. Email, or they can pay a little more and actually get some hardware at their business so that when one of the customers makes an order through their app that you've created, that Delicious created for them, then they're going to see it pop up and maybe even print through the Bluetooth printer in the kitchen or something. Absolutely. And, and in some situations, uh, some restaurant owners will, they'll say, you know what, I just, just charge me a 12% flat fee, send right. me the equipment, but don't charge me the monthly. Right. You know, so that so that's an option as well. Sure. Um, so those those are the, the the basic cost that we do set it up. We do set up a um, a USA ePay as well. So there's there's a there's a transaction fee on that, uh, probably uh, about say five cents and maybe uh, a ten dollar monthly fee. Right. Sure. Okay. But then then as far as though just big picture revenue side, so you've got this subscription coming in, it's largely going to equipment costs and things of that nature. Then talk to us about what the business paid. You mentioned 12%, 10%, 8%. What is that for? Why are they paying that? Right. Okay. Yeah. So, so the way that it breaks down is this. So let's say we, t- we charge a, we charge a business owner, um, say 10%. Okay. okay? Um, what we're going to do is we're going to take 10% is going to go back to marketing. Okay. So let's say if they did, if they did twenty thousand dollars in volume, uh, they paid two thousand dollars. Ten percent of that is two hundred dollars went back to marketing. So that means creating more ads for them, Facebook ads, Instagram ads, um, and, and so forth. Then you have eighteen hundred dollars left over, which obviously now that's a, now that's a revenue that can be split between you know you and the ISO and the agents. Exactly, and right. that's where it's split between us and and the agent or right. the ISO. Um, but you know it's going to be it's going to vary for different ISOs. Um, sure. we'll, we'll tailor it to each individual ISO. Sure. Now, now let's let's close this loop. So the other big thing is is the actual delivery. So of course there is a cost to have someone deliver this food through Postmates. Let's say we're using Postmates as an example. How does that cost get covered? Talk about the customer side. Okay, very good. So, so yeah, so basically the customer that is ordering the food is gonna pay a delivery fee Mm -hmm. based on how many miles away they are. And then they're gonna pay a service fee. Right. Which is, you know, let's just say for example, the delivery fee is $3 and the service fee is $2. And they might be, they might add a tip for the driver as well. Right. Absolutely. Right. 
So pretty much that revenue comes in and most of that is there really just to offset the, the, you know, yeah, so that, that revenue is going to Postmates. Got it. Okay. So delivery. got it. And then the last piece of this, I would imagine would be the credit card processing. So you still, now you're not losing the processing revenue because you know, you're actually processing it through USA ePay, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Right. So now the merchant's also paying the credit card processing fees on this revenue, which everybody on our call totally understands that model. So let me, let me reach. I do. I like to do this on our podcast. Let me restate what you just said. And you okay. tell me if I missed anything so our audience can understand what we're talking about. So we want to go to our existing restaurant clients that are using DoorDash or Uber Eats and they're paying 20 to 30% of total gross revenue that's going through these apps. They are paying to these apps and the customer, their customer is also paying a delivery fee to cover the delivery cost. Absolutely. So we're saying, and we're not able to do the credit card processing because it's running through DoorDash or Uber Eats. So we go to them and say, stop paying 30%, stop paying 20%. Instead, pay me 10%, right? And we are then going to have, and that that's actually revenue. That's literally like, you know, what is that? A thousand basis points. So yeah. that's revenue that's coming in. Um, you're going to 10% of it's going to go to marketing and other things, but that's going to leave a lot of margin that can be split up there. Then in addition to that, the cost of delivery is going to be covered by the person making the order. They're going to pay that delivery fee and that service charge. Maybe they tip the driver. So that's how that's going to cover the delivery, which you're running through Postmates. And Postmates is a company that has these drivers that are like for contract and your restaurant can use this network of drivers to deliver the food. Or um, their own. Or their own. Want. Or they could use their own. It doesn't really matter. You're charging them the, the 10% either way. It doesn't really matter. Right. Um, then, and you know, you're not making money off the delivery side anyway. That's just, if you need delivery, use Postmates and it's covered by the customer either way. Um, and then the final piece of it is the credit card processing, which now you're going to run through the USA ePay. And so I would assume if the, if the ISO has a processing company that work, if they process with USA ePay, they could do the processing account or is that something that you guys run the processing yourself? Yeah, so we do have a, we do have a couple options we offer them. Is one you run the processing through us, and when we do the split with you, uh, the other option is you do your own processing, and then we just charge you obviously the monthly fee for the software, and then a transaction fee. Um, which right now we're looking at the transaction fee being about twenty cents, um, but it, it's it's really it's really small compared to what they're making. Right a thousand basis points. Right. Just, right. Yeah. It's, it's, and I think it's so important for everybody listening that, you know, they're maybe getting interested and then they hear a number like 20 cent transaction fee. And if you're not careful, you could be at the old mindset where you're thinking of schedule a cost and things like that. This is not that. Cause we're not talking about splitting up 30 basis points. We're talking about splitting up a thousand basis points. Right. So the opportunity here is not in the processing. The processing is almost a necessary evil in, in this case, because the real money is in you're charging the business owner, literally 10% of gross revenue, which is insane for our industry. And so there's just a ton of profit there. Right. Yes. And as you well know, you know, being in the merchant service industry, when we get an account and we can charge them, when we're making 10 basis points, um, 20 basis, 30 basis points, right, like, that's right. a good account. Yeah, but right. You know, <laughs> right. Here, Imagine making 600, you know? Yeah, now you're looking at 600 basis points here. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's sweet. And, and let me say this too, because I think this is really important for people to understand. DoorDash, Uber Eats, these companies are still very, very vulnerable to an idea like this for two reasons, in my opinion. Number one is they're actually not great yet. 
What I mean by that is, I'll give you a really good example of this. So we like to go to Jersey Mike's. Okay, I think a lot of people would know this. Jersey Mike's subs, they make subs. Great sandwiches. subs. Yes, great <laughs> subs. So I really love Jersey Mike's. My family enjoys that. So we were using DoorDash to get our Jersey Mike's. Well, my wife really likes ha- getting the some of the sauce and stuff on the side. So there's special instructions, right? Right. When it went through DoorDash, they never got it right. And they wouldn't allow us to put some of the notes that we wanted. So mm. I was in there the other day. And I see a QR code, just like you're talking about, download our, and I already had their app, but I didn't know that they did their own delivery. I had no idea. Since then, this was probably two months ago, I've ordered twice as many times from them. Every time it's been exactly correct because it's their app and it ran through their system and they got the notes and they did it right. And it came to us faster, better. I'm like, so to me, most people are like that. They have their seven or eight restaurants that they frequent often. Yeah. Um, their their pizza place, whatever it is. And so customers are t- absolutely willing to have a separate app for these four or five, six restaurants in a little folder on their phone right. to go to, to make these orders because they know the service is going to be better. Um, and there, and to your point, there still are a lot of restaurants that are not even on these apps or they're, they're on the app, but they haven't taken the time to really customize it. And so yeah. it's not a good experience. And mm-hmm. so I, I think this is, is a huge opportunity. So Go ahead. And I think you, the other opportunity too, James, that you know you, you alluded to a moment ago is you also get to as a as a merchant services rep, you get to keep the residual. You know, oh, you're not losing the processing. Of course, residual. it's a, it's a no brainer that it's a huge opportunity for our industry. The right. question is, are restaurants going to be receptive? And I think the answer is yes. So tell us from your experience, John. You know, a lot of reps might be listening now and thinking this sounds great. ISOs are like this sounds interesting. They want to get out there and sell it. If they have a big list of restaurants and they're calling through them, what do you say? What's the what's the quick what's the one minute elevator pitch for this thing? What what do you say to a restaurant? Yeah, so a lot of times, you know, I, I like to share uh, the experiences that we're having uh, with with other restaurants, and you know, I'll tell the customer, yeah. look, you know, the first thing I'll go to a restaurant, I'll say, hi, you know, uh, I see you're using DoorDash, Uber Eats, you got all of them. I say, um, how are the fees? And you know, you can see it, you can <laughs> see question. it in their face. I love the open-ended question there. That's great. Exactly. You can see it in their face right away. They're like, yeah, it's like something we have to have. The the world is changing. Necessary, evil, costly. And I say, well, let me just show you one of the the new um, apps that we created. It's called Delish. And we're able to create an app specifically for your restaurant, which gives you all the power, the marketing, and so forth. It's branded specifically for you. Um, And we're only going to charge you 10% as opposed to 25 or 30%. Right. And then that's like, oh, wow. Then they start asking, well, how are, how are my customers going to know about this? Say, so, well, what we do is we're going to put the website that we build for you. We're going to put it on your Yelp page. We're going to put it on your Google page. And we're going to put an order delish on your Google page. We're going to create a thousand flyers for you that you can give to all your customers. Um, and, you know, and that's how they're going to get to know you because everything is about word of mouth. Right. So like, you know, you're giving them back the power of grassroots advertising. Sure. And getting their customers one customer at a time. Right. Um, right. We rarely don't, we don't have a lot of resistance when we're going in, but it is, it is, it is the, sometimes the challenging part is, is uh, they're used to having all these orders coming in right now on these delivery. Right. So, they're scared to just say we're going to cut them off completely sure. and go 
than with the leash. So we'll say, you know what? Go with both. Yeah, go with both. And get a transition. And in two months, three months, six months down the road, you're not going to need them anymore because you're going to build up your own app. Yeah. 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 And as, and you know, it's interesting because the thing I love about it is again, this is one of the things that makes these other platforms so vulnerable is that these other apps, there's nothing about them that is sticky. In other words, Mm -hmm. if, you know, DoorDash ultimately does have to, you know, I'm getting food from this other restaurant. So if they want to put something in the bag, like a flyer that says next time order on our app, you know what I mean? There's really nothing, you know, like ultimately it's still my customer as a, as a restaurant. Absolutely. And then another, another very good, uh, nice feature that we have um, in our, in our, in our app is the restaurant owner can go into their app and say, we're sold out of this item for today and they can right. shut it off. Right. Uh, they can change the pricing on there. If yep. they, you know, they go in themselves with a lot of these other apps, they got to email, exactly. they got to email them yes. and mm-hmm. ask them to change. And this could take right. a day or two for that. They even right. have Right. And now you have bad customer experiences. People are ordering things you don't have. And it's just a big, I've had that experience with DoorDash where it really is a mess because what happens too is then you always end up getting caught in the middle. DoorDash mm-hmm. says it's the restaurant's fault. The restaurant says it's DoorDash's, DoorDash's fault. fault. And of course yeah. the customer just wants to get some good food. Um, so I, 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 you know, this is so interesting. It's, this is one of these conversations where I know we could just keep talking about this for forever. Yeah, for a long time. Um, <laughs> but I know most of our listeners right now are saying, you know, please, Patty and James, shut up and tell us how to contact this guy. So uh, tell us where do you want to send ISOs and agents that want to partner with you? Uh, where should they go? Yeah, so they can go to our website, which is www.delish.com. And that's uh, D-Y-L-I-S-H. Okay. Awesome. Um, they could also uh, reach out to me. Um, is it okay if I get my number? You can if you want to, but you might get a few phone calls. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so um, they could they could call me directly at 562-536-8828. Uh, That's 562-536-8828. Or John at Delish. It's J-O-H-N at Delish, D-Y-L-I-S-H.com. Awesome. John, such an interesting concept. I have a feeling that, and I told you this on the call before, I have a feeling that we'll be, you know, I'll be seeing in in my LinkedIn announcements in 24 months, Delish, you know, purchased by, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this is such a cool technology. All of the big acquirers are going to hear about this and start salivating. So I wish you great success. Thank you so much for jumping on and sharing this idea and this concept with us. I know a lot of agents and ISOs will be thanking you profusely over the next 12 to 18 months as they cash in on this opportunity. Yeah, John, it's it's really, really, uh, really cool, slick thing you have going there. Good luck. Thank you guys so much. And just one more quick thing. Yeah, we've we've signed up over 350 accounts during the pandemic um, for for this app. So nice. We're doing really good. And, you know, the sky's the limit. And uh, thank you guys again so much for taking the time uh, and interviewing me today. Awesome. Hey, thank you. Well, now, uh, James, it's our time to give a shout out to our sponsor, Valor Paytech. You know, uh, I I think uh, I was thinking of of Valor briefly after we did our interview um, with John. And it's sort of like to kind of continue the the meta, the eating metaphor. uh, Valor is is your soup to nuts solution. Yeah. Right. I mean, we're talking about a gateway. We're talking about devices, virtual terminals, e-commerce. Uh, cash discounting, pay at the table. I mean, yeah. everything is there. Yep. 
I agree. So if you have not gotten your demo yet, definitely head over to ccsalespro.com slash valor, V-A-L-O-R, ccsalespro.com slash valor. Just today, Patty, I talked to another ISO that did their first deal with valor. I think it was a 30 terminal deal. Uh-huh. Uh, went amazing, went really smooth, cash discounting and all that. And uh, so it's really been rewarding now. We've been doing this so long. I've actually started to get the emails and, and the, the feedback of, right. hey, I'm working with valor. It's working really well. So it's exciting. Sure. That's great to hear too. It's great when we hear from people that are doing it. Um, yep. It makes us makes us feel even more like we're uh, continuing to bring you, you know, valuable information. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by CCSalesPro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit CCSalesPro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. So, Patty, one of the most common questions I get asked is, when is it the right time to go out on my own? Mm -hmm. um, you know, whether you're an executive at a processing company or think about starting your own shop, you're a W-2 agent and you're thinking about becoming a 1099 agent. And I thought it was so interesting today because it really sparked my mind to think about this because of our interview. Right. Um, if you remember towards the beginning of that interview, John was talking about how they say entrepreneurs work 80 hours a week because they know what the outcome is going to be. And what I, what I find in talking to salespeople and answering this question is a common theme. And that theme is there are two types of people that want to leave an employment opportunity to find a, an independent or a business type opportunity. Right. The first ones are those who are lazy. And I was they, just going to say that. Right. Right. And they don't like that there's this boss that's making them work so hard. Right. Um, let me tell you in no uncertain terms, if you go out on your own, you will fail. Yes. You, you will fail quickly. You will fail badly. Um, that is not a good opportunity. Entrepreneurship is probably the worst treatment for laziness. Oh, um, yes. Yes. It, you know, and there's so many people I've seen who, oh, you know, I've been on my own for almost 40 years. And I, and people are like, oh, I'm going to do that. And I'm like, you better have a lot of time. Right. <laughs> you, know, I, you better be a workaholic. And and so then this is this is what I find interesting about this, though, right? So, like, it's so easy for people to hear that listening right now that are W-2 or whatever. And they're saying, okay, so you're saying because I'm an employee, I am lesser. I'm less disciplined. I'm less. No, 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 no. What I'm saying is your personality and your situation in life may not lend itself well to entrepreneurship. Right. Right. And so there are certain people that have a personality that they do better with somebody else being the idea person and the go-getter and the driven, right. driven, driven. And they they are so good at taking those ideas and executing Execution. them mm -hmm. that you can end up making a fortune. And this idea that the only people that make a lot of money are independent is ridiculous. No, no. Almost all of the wealthiest people in the world are CEOs or something of a company that not a, not a stock owner. They may have right. options, but they're running the company. They're a VP of sales. They're an executive and they're making millions of dollars um, through private equity or whatever it is. And so this idea that you can't achieve big things as, a, as an employee or even to achieve independence at some level is ridiculous. And so, you know, I think it's very important to understand that it's not saying that employment is bad, but I, as I talk to people and they're like, oh, I really, I want to just be on my own. I'm like, why? Well, they, you know, my boss, this, my boss, that. 
stop. Right. That is not the reason. Let me tell you the reason that you should go on your own. And this is the reason I did. And the reason every other successful person ends up going on their own. And that is that working at a company, they will not allow you to work as hard or as creatively as you want. Yes. That is yes. the only reason <laughs> to go on your own. Or another reason is you recognize that your skill set at your current employment, you realize that you're already at peak performance, but you've yes. hit a ceiling right. where you can you cannot get rewarded more then you're already getting rewarded. And so you leave to, to do an opportunity on your own where there's not that ceiling. Right, right. In fact, that was the reason why I, I went out on my own. It was like, you know, either I had to, you know, go into this management track where I was going to max out in no time. Right. It's not where you want to go. You want to be the expert. I wanted to be the expert. You know, I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to, you know, be the person right. who has hands on. And that, right. It, right. yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. So, great, great, inf great insight, James. Thanks, Patty. Yeah. So I would say if you're out there and you're thinking about making the transition, really audit your motives because your motives ultimately are what's going to answer this question for you. Um, why, you know, I'll give you one last really quick example because it's such a common one in our industry is salespeople who say, I want to build a team. Uh -huh. Why do you want to build a team? And the answer is either because I want to give back, I want to train people, I want to change people's right. lives, and I want to work even harder because I just want to see more change happen. Or the real reason is I'm tired of prospecting. I want somebody else to do it for me. Mm -hmm. Okay. If that's your reason, hire somebody to do prospecting for you. Call it what it is. You still need to close the deals. But if you bring on a team, you're going to have to train them. Like there's going to mm -hmm. be more work. Anytime you want to get to a higher level, it's going to require more effort. It's going to require more discipline, more character, not less. Um, and so don't confuse the fact of saying you want to be your own boss with saying you don't want a boss. Because right. those are two very different things. Two very different. Yeah. Thanks, James. That was really good. Thanks, Patty. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. You know, James, the pandemic, it's forced a lot of people to press the pause button on business as usual, as we yeah. talked about a lot, but not fraudsters. You know, if anything, they're more emboldened as they tend to be in situations of crisis. Right. You know, uh, a pair of transunion reports reveals a significant uptick in digital frauds against businesses, okay. as well as a surge in pandemic related fraud schemes targeting consumers. Right. Um, and also... SIFT, which is an online fraud fighting company that has clients like DoorDash, which we've talked about, McDonald's sure. and Wayfair, sure. they saw a 69% spike in, in the average value of fraudulent purchase attempts wow. last year. Hmm. Wow. Now, it's not, it, it's not a big surprise that so much shopping has shifted online. Sure. But, you know, get, you know it's still significant. Um, and to kind of give you a sense of some of the really mega problems that were ident identified by SIF, some of these just blew my mind. Uh, a $5 million watch purchase. <laughs> Whoa, you know. Um, How did that get past the business that, you know? Like yeah, right. I mean, apparently it didn't get past the business. It was an attempt. These were attempts right. that they caught. Right. But, you know, 
Uh, yeah, five million right there. I'd say who's spending five million dollars online, right? <laughs> right. Wow. Um, there was a bunch of uh, cryptocurrency, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in cryptocurrency fraud, expected fraud attempts. Right. There was a fifty thousand dollar political donation. Okay. And um, a uh, sixty thousand dollars worth of Super Bowl tickets wow. that somebody tried to buy. Um, They've also identified a new fraud ring. I mean, this is, these guys are crafty. They're calling them cart crashers. Okay, cart crashers. Cart crashers. And what they do is they set up bogus charitable causes along with the necessary recipient accounts for the okay. donations, okay? Okay. And then they um, use stolen cards or card numbers and fake usernames or emails mm -hmm. to test the cards, you know, and they do this with automated tools that allow them to do it thousands at a time by donating to these bogus causes, mm. you know, $5 donations. Wow. If the if the uh, cards test out appropriately, you know, as good, then they go on shopping sprees. Mm. Um, and this is interesting because I've read another statistic recently, and, and it's actually not totally off the mark because I know my charitable giving has, has gone up in, in the last year. But they've seen since the pandemic started a 21% increase in charitable do donations, online donations, wow. which is pretty remarkable, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so this this uh, spike that SIFT recognized, um, this 69% spike in the average value of attempted frauds, um, just to put that in perspective, in 2019, the average value the value of the average suspected fraud was twelve hundred and twelve dollars okay um in 2020 it was two thousand forty nine dollars hmm. you know and that goes along i think that that trend for me seems to um you know uh parallel what we're seeing in chargeback volumes hmm. right okay you know because sure. you that know makes sense sure companies like sif might be doing uber and so forth but you know that these fraudsters aren't focusing their concentration there. Right. Um, and then uh, TransUnion's report, they saw a 46% increase in fraudulent digital transactions worldwide mm. uh, last year. Wow. Uh, in the U.S., we were less we were less hard hit, 22%. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the hardest hit were telecommunications, where they saw a 58% fraud spike all tied to credit cards, travel and leisure, almost 30%. Sure. And gaming. Yeah. Uh, 50%. Uh, separately, uh, TransUnion found that 36% of consumers worldwide were targets of digital frauds related to COVID-19 hmm. in the first three months of 2021. Wow. That compares to, so 36%, you know, per month, you know, each month for these three months. Right. Last April, it was 29%. Wow. So, uh, and that in, in the US, it was uh, 38%, uh, which is even higher. Yeah. So, you know, I think, I think that to me, the bottom line here is, you know, you got a lot of people cooped up to, at home with a lot of fear mongering and, right. you know, stockpiling and so forth. Extra cash laying around. Extra cash laying around because they're not spending it by going out yeah. all the time. Yeah. And then the fraudsters are just itching to take advantage of these differences, you know, right. these changes. And I think and, we're, 
I think where you'll see as an ISO or an agent where you'll really see this come into play is with underwriting. Yeah. Um, I've had agents and ISO say, hey, all of a sudden, this one processing company I've always worked with, they're not approving accounts as easily. Yes. Well, this is why, because they're on a heightened level of alert looking for these fraudulent companies that yeah. you know, everybody you just mentioned, these charitable organizations that are fake, they all have to have a credit card processing account. Yes, they do. So they're all trying to set that up with you and uh, with your company. And yeah. so the underwriting departments are on a heightened alert right now. And that's what I, you know, that's kind of where I was going with this is that it, especially because, you know, our guys are dealing with a lot of the smaller merchants and mid-sized right. merchants. And you know that, that the fraudsters are targeting them even more. You know, I remember Absolutely. a few years ago visiting a friend who runs a little, little, you know, uh, I don't know what you call it. I call it a foo-foo shop um but, you know they sell everything from everything. incense to you know and they sell everything and nothing <laughs> right right yeah. what you want to splurge when you want to just splurge money for something right? Right, right and uh and they were telling me i was asking them about security and you know right what they were doing and they're like oh we don't worry about that you know we're, we're too small nobody's gonna bother us and i was like oh no <laughs> you, know? Yeah. you guys are far more vulnerable because you don't have these sophisticated fraud right. tools that the big guys have and it's easier to to pull one you know to pull one right. over on you yep so yeah i definitely think this is something worth holding on to yeah, um and and, sure. and understanding how this is going to impact your portfolio i agree thanks for sharing that patty sure thing james this episode of the merchant sales podcast was brought to you by valor paytech the technology company that is revolutionizing cash discounting and surcharging with innovative features like dual mid support, waive the fee options, and even adding non-cash adjustment charges to tips. Now, all of this is made possible by a variety of technology devices and solutions such as gateways, tabletop point of sale devices, and features like SMS text messaging and e-invoicing, all with cash discounting in mind. Valor Paytech, bold ideas, smart execution, make sure you head over to ccsalespro.com slash valor, V-A-L-O-R, ccsalespro.com slash valor, V-A-L-O-R. Schedule your free demo today and watch videos and learn more about this amazing technology solution. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of Greensheet.com and CCSalesPro.com, and we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.